the ability to sustain effort is something I really learned. And uh, yeah, that being in the chaos and confusion and things flying and maybe, yeah, maybe a little violence here and there, I, I didn't mind it. I liked it a lot. Welcome to the Winners Find Away Show. I'm your host, Trent Clark, and this is episode 15 with David Gregory. Sustainability. David is a lobbyist and a partner in Kelly Cawthorn, a Midwestern lobbying firm. He shares his athletic experience, his value and beliefs about being a lobbyist and how you'd like to see the view of lobbyists change. You will not want to miss his talk on how his business survived during the pandemic, what he's learned from his athletic experience, the most challenging things of being a lobbyist, and what are the fundamental building blocks of day-to-day life that will lead up to that higher standard. David is a sharp leader, and I love his quote, take the game one play at a time. Join us for a fabulous show in this two-part series. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. Do you, do you think that's the one belief? Do you think that's the one kind of value or action that we need when we're down, like, is it, is it perseverance? Is it, is it grit? What, like, what do you think it is that actually, and, and what worked for you? I mean, you kind of said lit the fire and, and then it was like, I can't, I can't see myself anyway without it. Right. Like I got to be that person. I got to be at the top of the depth chart again. But what do you think that one thing is that you would say is probably most critical? Well, I mean, I, I just think the, the ability to grind through things and, 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 and it's just such a cliche, but you know, take the game one play at a time. The game is played one play at a time. It's not played one quarter at a time. It's, you know, continuous motion games like lacrosse or basketball or hockey are very different than a set piece game like football. You, you huddle up, you put together a plan, you go execute that plan, that seven seconds, that plan's over, you get back and huddle up together and make a new plan. And the reality is, um, you know, and I know Nick Saban's talked about it in his process uh, thinking, and I know there was a big, they won big, Michigan State won big in 98 over Ohio State. Ohio State was unbeaten and yeah. probably going to be the national championship. And MSU was was talented, kind of average, and they were behind at the beginning of the fourth quarter and they came back and won. And I was at that game. And then I read about it since then. That, that, that was the first game where Saban worked with this uh, sports psychologist or psychologist on Michigan State's campus, I think Dr. Lonnie Scott. Move the guys away from thinking, well, how can we beat Ohio State? How can we possibly beat Ohio State? Oh, my God. They're favored by 15 points. We're playing at the horseshoe. He said, look, all you got to think about is, how can I win my matchup? Uh, How can I win my matchup over the game? And how do I win my matchup? Well, I win my matchup one play at a time. How can I win my assignment and beat my opponent through technique or whatever on this play? And don't Mm. have to worry about anything else. And then worry about the next play and then worry about the next play and worry about executing your assignment and seeing if you can beat your opponent one play at a time. And Mm. then it'll add up. Uh, So anyways, I I think of things that way when times get tough. I just try to, I just go back to the huddle, go back out and snap the ball, ram my head against the opponent, come back and do it again. I mean, I don't know any other way really. Uh, I love that. I love that that story. You told me uh, your coach, like uh, things sometimes get messed up. But he's like, hey, if you do this one thing on every play, then, hey, you're assured you did all right, right? What was yeah. that? You remember what I'm talking about, that one thing? You know, I, I don't remember exactly. I'm sorry. Yeah, so but, he was, uh, I think when, when we talked about it before, I remember you telling me, like, he's like, hey, if you mess up, hit somebody hard, <laughs> right? Like, Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you know, all this fails, just, uh, you know, hit somebody with the opposite color jersey on, you know, if you don't know what to do. Knock somebody down. 
<laughs> just go hit somebody. Go hit somebody in the opposite jersey. I've I've actually coached youth football and said that to kids who didn't know what to do. And I'm like, well, if you don't know what to do, just look for a guy in another jersey and you know go hit him. Yeah, you know, make sure they're out of the play. They're out of the play. What's um? What do you think uh, the most challenging thing about being a lobbyist is? Oh, I think um, I think um, you know, fundraising is always a challenge. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't think legislators or politicians really like raising money, right. quite frankly, but they have to. I don't think we really like coming up with it for them. That's always a, a challenge. I think um, I also think of in Michigan, we have term limits at the state level. So that means, you know, just when somebody's getting to know their job and getting good at it, they're, they're broomed out of there and a whole new crop is coming in. And so the turnover is tremendous. So sometimes it feels like uh, Groundhog Day or mm. that you're playing ch- a game of checkers over and over again, instead of playing a game of chess, because it's like, okay, a whole new crop came in. Uh, what is our playbook for meeting new legislators, establishing a rapport, talking about our clients and our issues. And instead of advancing, you feel like you're always going back to the beginning. So that's a challenging mm. part of it. Okay. Let's, t- let's stay with the lobbying firm because Kelly Cawthorn's really known. And one of those obvious leaders was Frank Kelly. Tell me a little bit about some of the leadership lessons you gleaned from from Frank Kelly along your way? Well, I mean, Frank was a uh, really, really tremendous individual and I think a, 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 a singular figure in Michigan political history, elected statewide 10 times, and was just personally popular and had a bond with people. I think the one thing I learned is, is something he always said his dad told him, which was, you know, any damn fool can make enemies, but it takes a wise man to make and keep friends. Mm-hmm. And and okay, that sounds great, but how did Frank personify it? Well, he spent a career going after the big utility companies and the big re- retail, you know, on on, on electric case uh, electric rates, and going after uh, big retailers on consumer ripoffs and item yep. pricing. And you know what? But guess who? When he went into private practice, because he didn't burn bridges, because he yep. didn't make it personal, because he did make his case in a relatable way that the common man or woman understood and liked. Yeah, it was hard to hate him. And he didn't hate the other guy, he, even when he was against them. And because of that, th- those very companies that he'd opposed for 20 years and, and beat, hired him. And they yeah. didn't hire him just to be, make him quiet or anything. They hired him because they respected his judgment. They knew he'd tell them what he really thought and what their best course of action was. And he knew how the public would perceive things because he was a master at at how public perceive things. So he battled people for 20 or 30 years in office and then they hired him when he left because he was just impossible not to like. And they wanted him on their side instead of battling him. What are some of the things like you're implementing today in the firm because of what Frank established way back when? Well, I think, uh, you know, number one, he's always stressed that the firm has to be bipartisan. It can't be a Republican firm. It can't be a Democratic firm. Yeah. Uh, the reality is, it has to be a, a, yeah. a balanced firm that has both Republicans and Democrats. You know, whatever background you came from, you, you kind of need to shed that identity to some extent and join the firm. And, you know, your party, your real party is your clients or your teammates in the firm. You know, that's who you're battling for. You're not battling for the red team or the blue team anymore. You're battling for the Kelly Cawthorn team, for your clients, for good public policy. Uh, you got to make sure you do it with ethics and integrity. And you got to make sure you do it in a way that's, again, you can make your case. You can be aggressive. You can work really hard, but you know you don't have to burn any bridges. You don't have to make it personal. You never know. Today's opponent might be tomorrow's, uh, you know, uh, ally. Yeah. Remember that. 
Yeah, I think I think too many businesses do that, right? We're we're I, I we're I just see I see too much of that. Uh, and I, and I, I really like the competitive nature. I think that's really important in business. I think that's truly valued. My, my, my issue is when sportsmanship leaves and it's like, win at all costs, you know, hate the enemy. And it's like, man, some of the, some of the best things I love. And, I, and we're seeing it in hockey, um, right now with the playoffs. I, I love when the series is over and they're all beaten up and everyone's just tired and, the, and they all go shake hands, you know, like. This is it, man. And and you don't you don't have people who deny somebody a handshake. They they honor. They, I'm not saying they're going out for beers after the game, right? I'm saying you know like, hey, it's been hard fought, and I respect that your effort, what you brought, because especially in the age of free agency, it could be two years and you'll be teammates. So right. there's no reason to come in and go bad blood on everything, right? Because that's how fast things change, and and they certainly can change like that in business. So. I think that's really valuable for people listening today to understand that, hey, the competition's great, but you stay in that and hold that integrity to the competition. That serves. Well, I think people be well served to remember that in politics too. I mean, whether it's the public mm. officials or really just the general public out there. I mean, it's like I, I'm either red and Fox News or I'm either uh, blue and MSNBC. I mean, yeah. and uh, it's completely tribal and they're not even uh, – they don't even acknowledge that the other side are decent human beings or, yeah. or they don't recognize them as fellow Americans who share their same basic values. Yeah. Uh, I think that's problematic. I think that you see it in, in, in youth sports more than you used to. Yeah. You know, my dad, my dad was a coach of a lot of different sports. And one thing he always told me was, you know, you have to have some respect for your opponent because quite frankly, you don't, you don't have a game without them. And isn't that the thing to yeah, have right. a game and that's to compete? Right. That's right. And isn't that what's fun about it? And, Nobody wins all the time. It's impossible, except yeah. maybe Alabama. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they win a lot, right? <laughs> I, I like that respect everyone, fear no one, right? Like, I yeah. mean, hey, they deserve your respect. You can't give them admiration to where you fear them. Uh, and I think, I think that's where uh, Alabama is certainly in that that realm of they've they've received that um, respect. From everyone, you know, and I think where you see it go south for a lot of teams is they actually fear them. I mean, it's and listen, rightfully so in some cases. I mean, there's a lot to fear there. Like they're really good, right? But um, if you're gonna come and compete with them, I just don't think fear is the option. So t- tell us a little bit why, you know, since we're on Bama a little bit, tell us why, you know, you admire Nick. Tell t- Nick Saban, you know, head coach, longtime guy, obviously. You had a front row seat for a lot of his activities at Michigan State. Uh, Nick and I go a little bit, you know, further back than that when we were together. Uh, Toledo. I was an athlete actually at the time. Mm-hmm. When most people don't know, again, one of those things that uh, most people don't know about me. Like uh, I was at Toledo, and Nick was the head coach of our football team when I was there. So worked out a lot with his football program because of uh, a number of things. But tell us, tell us your admiration and, and where you find that. Well, number one, I'm, I'm different than most. You know, I, I grew up a Michigan State fan, as I indicated. And most Michigan State fans hate Nick Saban. I just, I just never did. Um, and maybe part of it was because um, my offensive line coach in college was Buck Nystrom. Uh, that could be a whole show in and of itself. Uh, the most eccentric and intense person I've ever met in my entire life. But he, he was the offensive line coach on George Perlis's uh, first staff at Michigan State. And Nick Saban was the young defensive back coach. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and Buck was an established coach. He was actually MVP of the Rose Bowl in the 50s. Didn't wear a face mask. <laughs> he had a helmet, but no face mask. Yeah. 
So anyways, then Nick openly credits Buck that he goes, I got my fourth quarter conditioning program, which isn't just conditioning. There's a lot of values embedded in it, a lot of approach embedded in it. Mm -hmm. But that is Buck Nystrom's fourth quarter program that he invented. And I took it from him and I, I took it when I went to the pros, I took it to Michigan State, LSU, Alabama. Yeah. And that's been one of the foundations of his program ever since. And I knew that. And I, and I knew Buck and Buck would talk about Coach Saban uh, quite a bit. So I always followed him from that aspect because I knew he ran the fourth quarter conditioning program. I knew that my coach had invented it. I know that I'd been through that program, at least a version of it in, in my own college days. So I always just found that interesting. And then you know, I watched a documentary uh, that was about Belichick and Saban the other day or a year or so ago. Nick was saying lines like, you got to confront and demand uh, and, and a few other things. I'm like, he got these from Buck. That's what Buck used to say all the time. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, Nick was the young guy. Buck was the older guy. Yeah. Like, so I, I knew that a lot of his philosophy or at least some of his coaching philosophy had come from my own coach. So I just felt that connection and, and it sure. was just fun to watch. Yeah, that's funny. And I recall my story of, you know, Nick when in practice was Nick was, he was diligent, right? Like the practices were laid out like, like clockwork, literally. And it was like, boom, and he had, you know, someone on the watch with the horn always right next to him, right? So you were in the drill and, and you would be in the offensive line drill about to hit, you know, the sleds or whatever. And that horn would go off and it was like drill over sprint to the next drill like whatever you were doing is now over that horn hit not like oh hey david let me grab you just show you a little bit how your left shoulder is a little bit off center this is where i want you at right like oh no 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 that's for after practice because you had your 12 minutes with gregory and now that you don't have it like it's gone he's on to johnson and, and his next drill right and so uh i just loved it and you know these kids man the tempo um, practices went fast and hard and it was, uh, it was, it was fun. So let's talk a little bit about his, you know, we've talked a little bit about, Hey, how, how do you win? You win at one play at a time, but he's got this very tactile, very methodical approach to process and outcome. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Well, yeah. And I, again, I know he, he talks about, you have to, you have to play and practice to a certain standard. Uh, and then you have to kind of reverse engineer from that standard what, you know, what daily steps, what daily drills, what daily practices will lead you to play to that standard, which isn't necessarily a win or a loss, or you don't, you're not thinking about the outcome, you're thinking about the standard mm-hmm. of excellence, or the standard that you're trying to pursue, and then reverse engineer what are the fundamental building blocks of your day-to-day life that will lead up to that standard. And, and, and you get a little le- you get a little more process oriented, a little less outcome oriented, but that the results or the outcome has a tendency to take care of itself if you have well thought out process. And uh, I know in that documentary I talked about, somebody referenced a quote that they felt was applicable to him is that genius is sometimes in the organization of the non-obvious. <laughs> that stuck with me. And I, I began to think about, you know, what, what is it that we can do in our own firm a little differently or yeah. non-obvious or what is the standard we're aspiring to and, and usually hitting, but what standard are we aspiring to and what are the practices, what are the systems, what are the processes, what are the best practices we could engage in to consistently meet that standard? 
So, yeah. and I enjoy that. I enjoy that kind of way of thinking. I don't know why I'm just a little meticulous and boring by nature. So it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I think that one of the things coming back to the hockey right now, you know, we all talk about the big KPIs, right? Wins, losses, goals, scored, assists, you know, saves made, like all those big things. But man, when you start really diving into it, you start looking at those, those things that we're really measuring in process, right? Face-offs won, shots blocked, right? Like the gritty yeah. stuff that like, oh man, you got to come in, work at this, like, right? Put your body in front of harm's way and we want to limit how many shots that get through to our goal. The less he has to save, all the better. And uh, my son actually pays for a coach who just preaches those KPIs at the high school level, like, and he's measuring them, right? We want to get close to like, this is what it is. And so I do think when you talk about uh, Coach Shaben and good organizations, they really define process. And it may sound a little boring, but you can come back to it again and again and again. And, and we see it in sales, right? Hey, if you're calling on 40 high quality clients, you are going to get 10 wins out of this. But like, if you make, oh, well, I only got two wins. I say, oh, well, how many calls did you make? Well, 10. Well, right. Like, like the numbers don't lie, right? Like get your numbers in, like it works, it produce. And it's like, people don't believe it. Well, we measured, I remember a while back, we started to measure what was our closing rate of prospects that we, yes. you know, got to a certain yeah. point with. And I was like, hey, you know, our batting percentage is pretty good, but you know what? We need more at bats. That's right. <laughs> you know, and, and the percentage might go down, but we'll get more hits, whatever. But it, and, and I didn't want to press the sports stuff too far, but that's, that's what struck me. I'm like, yeah, we closed pretty well, but we probably got to, you know, we probably need a few more at bats. We probably need a few more prospects. We probably need to. Uh, that's right find a few more ways to get a few more people into, you know, uh, our funnel or, uh, uh, you know, our field of vision and, and talk to them about what we can do for them. I do want to talk a little bit about in whatever time we have left about kind of the, the challenges of remote lobbying and the pandemic. It really was kind of, I think, a great success story for us. Give me, give me that one more time. Give me the success story that you said, you know, success story for you regarding this. I think we missed that. Well, about how we met the challenge of the pandemic. You know, we have a one-on-one person-to-person business that's lobbying and we rely on, you know, meeting with the legislature. So all of a sudden we couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't meet with anybody and the legislature wasn't even meeting. And it's like, I don't know, are are people even going to pay us anymore? Uh, Are we going to have to lay people off? What's going to happen here? Yeah. Uh, You know, we didn't panic. Uh, You know, we just said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to figure this out. We don't know how we're going to figure this out or what this means, but we're going to figure it out. So uh, we started doing uh, Zoom meetings three times a week, just as our internal team. What are you hearing? What are you hearing? What are you hearing? Okay, we were comparing notes. Why don't we get that out to the clients? Yeah. And then it was like, well, why don't we start doing uh, Zoom calls and Zoom briefings with, um, we'll get the Speaker of the House. He'll talk to a, a, an audience of our clients. We'll get the majority leader. We'll get people from the, from the Whitmer administration. And we even once had the governor herself. And it was all of a sudden we realized, wow, this is actually uh, a pretty valuable tool. We probably couldn't have gotten our client, this many of our clients in front of these public officials in a, in a year full of Sundays. It would have taken forever. And we're like, this is actually very efficient. And there's value for the client and there's value mm-hmm. for the public official because they're getting in front of so many people in such a short period of time. We started to do yeah. a daily a daily email update about all things COVID related that we were hearing that we were picking up and, and clients really reacted to it. And we've 
we don't do the daily email anymore, but we, we've kept up the weekly email, very punchy, very bullet point driven, but really nice and nicely encapsulating some of the major events uh, and developments that are of interest to our clients. We started doing lobby days instead of doing them in, in, in person where, you know, an association comes to Lansing, they have a reception and uh, the radio broadcaster from the association of broadcasters from Saginaw goes and meets with the state senator from Saginaw and he try to schedule all these meetings and inevitably the legislative calendar gets screwed up and then the meetings get thrown off. But we said, look, people still want to do lobby days. They still want to talk with their legislator and, and, and give them their point of view. Uh, so we started doing it uh, via Zoom and we created our own platform called Kelly Cawthorn Connect. And people are doing lobby days virtually now and they're preferring it. Why are they preferring it? The schedules are easier to keep. And maybe even more than that, instead of just being able to do lobby days on session days, which are Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, traditionally, we can do them on a Monday or a Friday when the legislator is not even in Lansing anymore. All of a sudden, we just found out we adapted and we used the tools we had in a new way. We were fundamentally still doing the same types of things with the same goal. We were just using new ways of doing it and new ways of thinking. And then we started to realize, well, some of this has value, period, regardless of the pandemic and that we'll, we will have to incorporate many of the lessons learned. I was really proud wow. of how we thought about it, how creative our team got, how, how much they uh, adapted to it and bought into it, how much our clients adapted to it and bought into it. It was fun, actually. I mean, mm. that, that aspect of the pandemic and working through it was enjoyable. I'm not saying that the yeah. pandemic was enjoyable, but that part of it was. I think that this is one thing that always stuns me. You know, a lot of people really don't love conflict. They don't love challenge. It's hard. And I really appreciate that. But, you know, all the good things, some of the best things came from solving the problem and like new stuff comes out of it. Like, wow, look how efficient <laughs> this is. Like, why, why wouldn't we have been doing this five years ago? Like, even though the environment was different, there's value to people in doing things this way. And so I think the discovery of, you know, the shift in our paradigm, because we have to do it another way yeah. under the circumstance, all of a sudden opens up opportunity for a lot of other things. So I think that's so cool that you you discovered that inside the firm. I think that's awesome. Yeah, well, I was proud of our team. You know, and it, and it wasn't necessarily leader driven. We all just said, what the hell are we going to do? <laughs> I mean, everybody, the whole, yeah. everybody, you know, administrative yeah. people, interns, you know, whatever. It yeah. didn't matter. Everybody just said, what the hell are we going to do to service our clients, continue to give value, to hope they keep paying us so we can all keep paying you and we all have a job and feed our families right. and get through this. I mean, and everybody just, I don't know if they whined and complained about it. They guess they did it on their own time. They just kind of pulled together. It was great. It's awesome. I, I tell a lot of folks, like good, good ideas can come from anywhere. Like, yeah. It doesn't always like, oh, well, it can't be a good idea because it didn't come from one of the leaders. That's trash, right? Like this is, this is what you hire interns for. I love the intern programs for one of the reasons that everyone's coming fresh out of university, just, you know, sponge learning. And they've got some ideas about how this thing might work. And, you know, some of them aren't great. I get it. But like some of them are like, wow, I don't know. We hadn't really considered that. Is that what something you learned at school? Like, oh, yeah, here's all the data on it. And here's, hey, we might have to take a hard look at that. Yeah, we've got a young person right now and, you know, oh, we didn't really know. We don't have graphic artists in house or we, we don't have a great ability yeah. to put together. We, we do an OK job. Sometimes we need outside help. We need a kind of a, you know, a banner visual for actually a webinar we're doing uh, on Monday. But he's like, that's what you need. 
you know, 10 minutes later, he had it. So it was great. They're, really? Yeah, that guy got those skills. Yeah, they're young. They have great skills. And, and they're completely wired in and adapted to the world that we're in now because they grew up in it. Mm. They don't yes. have to adjust or think differently. It's how they think to begin with. And trained up. Yeah, that digital world. And I can appreciate that because it's a long, it's a, it's it's the big learning curve for me, right? <laughs> so yeah. I appreciate when it's easy for someone. A question here for you. Describe the leader you want to be. I'm certainly not the leader I want to be to the extent that I am a leader. Uh, but, you know, just to the nature of the position that I'm in and my partners, we do have to, you know, uh, we have to lead the firm. I'd like to be respected. I'd like to be considered to be uh, open-minded, but but firm when necessary fair. And I think that, again, open to others' ideas, which I like to think I am, I'm probably not. But we ha- we went in a direction that was positive for our clients, positive for our state, positive for the people you know that uh, we all work together. Then we created an environment that was fun and pleasant to work in while doing good work. Uh, that's something to be remembered mm. for. I mean, did I play a small role? I mean, is this a fun place to work where we can, you know, enjoy it and do some good stuff and maybe make some money and do some good things for our clients and for our state? What yeah. the, I mean, I, I remember there's a movie called Charlie Wilson's War, which is a great political movie. Tom Hanks is in it, but the CIA uh, character. Charlie Wilson's War. It's called what? What is it again? Charlie Wilson's War. Yeah, Charlie Wilson's uh, War. Yes, but the CIA character uh, that he kind of worked with is a real story. Uh, how they kind of funneled a lot of money to the. Uh, to the Afghan rebels as they were fighting the Soviets in the late seventies, early eighties. But the CIA guys kind of pulling his leg in some encounter with another intelligence person. And, and the characters, Philip Seymour Hoffman's playing goes, Hey, I'm just kidding. There's no reason this can't be fun. <laughs> you know, we're just trying to defeat communism uh, and yeah. win the cold war, but there's no reason this can't be fun. And I, I do think of that. And people probably are laughing that I work with them, really. But I do yeah, try yeah, to tell yeah. myself, like, there's no reason this can't be a little fun. Uh, right. We can't have some fun along the way. Uh, Enjoy and what you're doing. Yourself. I love that. I love that. That's a um, couple of things before we go. One is, first of all, tell us a little bit about, here, here's one most people don't know about you either. You're recognized uh, as a parent of, of a couple major social media influencers. Right. Well, like, what's that like for us? Because I'm not, <laughs> I don't know what that means to be, you know, I'm, I'm the parent of five, right, as well, but I am not the parent of that. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, yeah, just to say a little bit, um, you know, uh, and, I, and I'm the stepfather, so I, I just make that clear. But, uh, you know, I've been with them okay. uh, since they were all quite young. And yeah, our daughter, our daughter really started uh, making some videos at around, you know, 11 or 12. And, and I was like, Wow, actually, you have some really good. You have a really good eye for editing and storytelling. And yeah. My wife noticed the same thing, so we encouraged it, and then she made videos and went on from there, and then has really become quite large and successful on YouTube and Instagram. You know, gets brand deals, and I think she has a very positive message. Her name's Hannah Maloche. It's awesome. Um, yeah, but and then uh, her sister Ella, uh, I think it, it really has gotten to be recognized in her own right and quite popular and has her own following, which is quite different from her sister's. Uh, she doesn't make videos, but she's appeared in a lot. And she also does a lot of interesting things on Instagram, Ella Maloche. So, but it's just funny, four or five years ago, Nicole and I would be going through an airport. It would just be Nicole and I somewhere and people would recognize us from the videos oh, and okay. would ask if they could have their picture with us. 
I mean, Hannah and Ella and the other kids weren't around. It was just us. And these were kids <laughs> who were fans. And I'm like, yes. I remember once the first time I went, because you know what, you got to be friendly. You got to be friendly. Right, they're, right. They're supporting your kids and, and, yeah. and they look up to them. And you're like, but, it, but you are stunned. I was like, yeah, I guess you can have a picture of me and my wife. If you want one? I go, do you want to be in it? Or are you sure? But I go, yeah. this is great. We'll do it. But it was just, I was taken aback by the way. That was, people that say, was my next question. She's got these numbers. People say she's got these numbers and she's this and she's that. I'm like, well, yeah, but she's also just a teenage girl living in, in my house here. I mean, yeah, you know, she's a kid, right? Uh, she's, like, she's Hannah or Ella. But so it wasn't real to me until someone said, hey, I recognize you. I'm like, oh, hey. I was just going to, that was my next question was, does that mean like every family vacation is recorded like live? Like you got to, you're going to be streaming at some point and you're going to have to be aware of that? If she's around, yes. So yeah, she's a part of the vacation. Okay. And some part of it's going to be filmed, and and usually some of the some of the ones where we travel have been the most fun and entertaining. It's a life on of, film. Yeah, I mean, some of them have been very, and, and usually I, a source of some humor at my expense, which is fine. Uh, you know, okay, love it. Okay, so listen, as we wrap up here, first of all, David, thank you so much for coming aboard. I mean, I know our listeners see value in the episode each time. I enjoy learning, man, about, you know, sustained effort, you know, talking about that and uh, love how you've taken the, the leadership of Frank Kelly and, you know, you and your partners are continuing to develop that sustainable operation inside your firm, which is so cool. To finish something that uh, we did not touch on today yet that you think is, is critical for someone to move into that position of sustainability, move into the position. Tell us one of those, the, maybe the best way that you could tell them. I mean, I guess the only way to learn about leadership is number one, to, to try to put yourself in positions of leadership. I think number two, you have to try to put yourself in the shoes of the people you're leading mm. <laughs> a little bit. And yeah. I find that hard to do, quite frankly, although I've gotten mm. a little better at it. Study leaders, study people that you admire. I mean, that's, I don't know, I, people you identify with who've accomplished things that, you, you know, who have traits that you admire. And I think you can really learn a lot from that. I, you know, whether it's your coach that you had or a coach you see on TV or a, or a political figure or a religious figure or a business person, um, you know, study, study leader, effective leaders. I mean, there, there are some commonalities. They have their own unique variations on things, but there's some fundamental principles you can learn that they could just help you be a better parent, a better leader in your own family. Yeah. Right where you're at. Lead where you're at, wherever that yeah. is. Right. I love that. Okay. To finish. For everybody out there today, again, where can they find you? Well, uh, www.kelly-cawthorn.com. Uh, I'm at dgregory1 on Twitter. And you know, Kelly Cawthorns also has a pretty active Facebook page. Uh, we're going to have a new new website soon. Uh, you know, I do want to thank my wife, Nicole, who introduced you and I. We've done some work together, uh, both uh, personal development, and you've also introduced uh, me to some other professionals who've helped me and my firm. So... Uh, thanks to my lovely wife, Nicole Gregory, for introducing us and uh, for supporting, you know, my crazy ideas for sure. and, and annoying habits. For everyone there, I'm at Trent M. Clark on all the social medias, most popular probably on LinkedIn. Uh, welcome you there. And of course, our Leadership uh, channel on YouTube and we are leadershipity.com. David did not disappoint again. So good, man. I, I learned tons about lobbyist today and what that looks like and your path through this and some leaders that you've had before you 
that came about to, to show you a way and those influencers in our life as you influence others. Thank you for joining us for another Winners Find A Way show. I am your host, Trent Clark. If you love this episode, share this episode with your friends and follow us on whatever podcasting medium you're listening to. If you want more content from us, join us at leadershipity.com or the Leadershipity YouTube channel. You can find us on all the social media networks at either Trent M. Clark or Leadershipity for our award-winning workshop win with great teams you can find that page on linkedin as well as our corporate page leadershipity if you want to win more it starts with you today say it with me now i have what it takes